Now, maybe in time they'll they'll have another little tournament going on with within the Masters tournament, the the over 60s. You never know. Play off the front tees and be entertaining. Rain, rain, go away. That would appear to be the message from everybody here at Augusta National, not least myself. Welcome to the latest Masters Commute in association with Callaway Golf. We were hoping to be telling you all about the third round, set the scene for an incredible final day's play at Augusta National. But Mother Nature has once again intervened, and so we're not quite there yet. There's play that's taken place in round three, but... Plenty more of it still to go, so we'll do our best anyway. So thank you for tuning in. Michael McEwen here, and I've got another very special guest. He's becoming basically our round three at the majors guest, isn't he? <laughs> correspondent. <laughs> I'm the round three correspondent. <laughs> round three correspondent. That's 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 going on your CV on Monday morning, isn't it? Brilliant. Evan Priest from Golf Digest. Hello there, mate. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I, like you said, I was hoping that the third round would be done by now, but you know, we get extra Sunday golf, which is which is always nice. There's the sunny side. Typical Aussie, always looking for the positive. Always looking at the bright side. The <laughs> only person it's not good for is yourself, I hear. I know. I know. So if you were listening to yesterday's show, you would have heard me talking with Alex Myers about the fact that I've won the lottery, but it appears that my ticket may go up in flames before I get to renew it, or uh, redeem it rather. So I'm meant to be playing the golf course on Monday. A Monday finish for the Masters, we'd put paid to that. So I'm basically hoping against hope to get done tomorrow night i think they will i think augusta national you know it almost has the power to dictate mother nature that <laughs> i don't think you know I, I i believe it's been 40 years since they've had a monday finish i just can't yeah. see it happening they will work around the clock to make sure that it doesn't happen and we're going to get 29 holes of golf in tomorrow which will be fantastic and update for your listeners 8 30 a.m local time i'm not sure what time that is in glasgow but 1 30 p.m so 1.30 p.m., they're going off, you know, they're resuming the third round. Mm -hmm. And by 12.30 local, they'll be starting the final round. And it looks like Brooks Kepka, and, you know, providing he's still in the final group, uh, will go off at the traditional 2.40 Eastern tea time. So, so that is the traditional tea time? It's about, it's just before 3 o'clock. It, it wavers between 2.45, 2.50, but 2.40 p.m. is the traditional final group. Oh, so we're laughing then, yeah. to be honest. There's, why am I worried? I don't well, know. Augusta was confident enough to put in their official release in the bulletin, uh, you know, an hour ago, that a play is scheduled to finish on time. So they, they would, put that in the release. They did at oh, the very end. Oh wow! You missed it. They buried the lead a little bit there. Though, yeah, didn't they? didn't they? Just <laughs> that. That is great news. That makes me feel a whole lot better because, as of two hours ago, I didn't have clubs and I didn't know if I was going to have a tea time. And I still don't. Have, I don't actually have the clubs, but I've managed to find a place that will give me them. A place called the River Golf Club, just the other side of the savannah. Wonderful. I think it's in South Carolina, but they say they're twenty minutes away. So, yep, I'm totally confused by that because I don't know where in the world I am apart from Augusta, Georgia. <laughs> like geography and me, not good bedfellows at this point. But when they say they're South Carolina, that feels like it should be hours and hours away. Yeah, it's another enough. state, yeah, but it's just across the river. I, I wonder what kind of clubs you're going to get. Maybe I know. Some, some vintage Nikes from 2004 <laughs> or something, you know? That's, Maybe If it's good enough for Brooks Kepka this week, he's got a vintage <laughs> th uh, Nike 3 iron That's in the bag. Right. So. What, about, what, what about, what was that old square driver? Was that the Sasquatch? Sasquatch, Maybe yeah. Maybe you might get the square driver. Oh, the noise of that echoing around the pines here. Jeez, can <laughs> you imagine? That. Yeah, that, that would waken up everyone on Washington Road. You, you must be so pumped. Yeah, yeah, I am. I am. Look, you've been there yourself. You've played the golf course. You've been in this position on, well, 
you know, maybe not wondering if you're going to play, but you've been drawn from the lottery. What, or what was it like for you? Yeah, I mean, like, you know, without trying to sound douchey or, or anything like that, it's, you know, we, we're golf fans, just like all your listeners, you know, mm. we're not high and mighty. And to get drawn out, it's it's as special an experience as it would be for any of these listeners getting drawn out of Augusta. It's just, as a golf fan, it's it's one of the best days of your life. They they have this mission statement ever since sort of Fred Ridley and the previous chairman took over that they wanted to treat you like a member for the day. And and they do the best, their best to do that. You get a, a, an hour before your tea time to sort of peruse the grounds. You can go into the pro shop. You can go into the champion's locker room. You can see all the Aussies and Scots and South Africans that have managed to win the Masters. and uh, All just, of them. Yeah, all of them. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> Both of them. <laughs> one Scot, one Aussie. <laughs> you know what? I believe I, believe I shared a locker. I mean... I shared a locker for, for about 20 minutes. I shared, <laughs> I shared a locker with Sandy Lowell. I'm pretty sure I got... Did you really? Yeah, because they, cool. they you know, print out your name and they put it on a, on the locker and, and you sort of get oh, assigned nice. to it. Obviously, they leave Tiger and Jack's locker well out of the way. Oh, do they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no one gets assigned that one. But it's... Yeah, you, and you just soak the place up. You go into the crow's nest, into the uh, the dining room and whatever you want to do, you can hit balls. The, the big ticket, though, is to go into the pro shop and get the Augusta National yes. merchandise, which is a, you know, a secret handshake among golfers who have played <laughs> yeah. Augusta, just to know that it's a bit of a humble brag. You know, you've got the Augusta without the Masters logo on it, and it just it just tells people that you've either played Augusta or you know someone who has. That um, is so true, because like a lot of people now have the Masters merchandise. That's right. You know, I've, I've got tons of it, but I also know a lot of people who have it too. And I'm not saying that it's become, you know, quite commonplace but mm. i see it more often than not i certainly see it more than i did a decade ago yeah but the augusta national golf club branded gear that's exclusive to the shop you yep. don't get that in the the patron shop it's that's for right. the pro shop you ha- and, and and you can't get it during masters week sunday night rolls into monday it's like clockwork the way they get rid of it and it's straight pro shop just has complete augusta merchandise tomorrow you know sorry monday morning uh, and it's amazing. And, and you do all that. You also try to hit balls and get to know your caddy a little bit before you tee off. And then, of course, you have that nervous tee shot in front of the director of communications at Augusta, a couple of members. And Wait a second. The director of communications is there? Well, he was when I was there. I can't say. So, oh, so back then it was no. a guy called Steve Ethan. And, mm-hmm. But but it's, it's fine. They're, they're not, it's not, it's, there's not a crowd. It's not anything like that. It's just a few people watching as you tee off and uh the, when i when i played i i, I kind of thought about it all weekend because now they yeah. f- f- for your listeners they draw it out is it friday friday afternoon friday afternoon so friday saturday and sunday night if your name get drawn out obviously you're very excited but you're also thinking god i hope the bo- i get the ball airborne yeah yeah exactly <laughs> i i you know not your listeners care but i I, I got it airborne. I pulled it a little bit into the left rough, just wiped the sweat off the forehead. A poor guy in my group, cold, topped it. He, he topped it with so much topspin, it rolled all the way down to the bottom of the hill on the first fairway. Oh. He actually made a really decent bogey from there, to be fair to him. That's a great bogey from it's there. a great bogey, yeah, from, yeah, from 350 metres out uphill. <laughs> Jesus, that's very, very good. But well, it just goes to show what the, it's the power of the place, doesn't it? It's a bit like St Andrews. I played there a number of times, but every time I'm on that first tee, it's the same feeling, utter fear, dread that I'm going to embarrass myself. Widest fairway in golf, but you still think things are going to, bad things are going to happen. I think Rory said it best that, you know, it, it actually adds more pressure because it's like, well, you shouldn't miss this fairway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you've also got true. the 18th fairway as well. And I was lucky enough to play, I was, you know, we were both at the Open Championship mm. at St. Andrews last year and I was lucky enough to play that 
on the Wednesday. I, I hung around in St Andrews, thankfully, for a few days, and I got a tea time on the Wednesday morning, second group off at the oh. old course. And it was just the most magical experience of my Special, life. Special, yeah, isn't it? It's just, it is the best golf course in the world. It's better than this place. Yeah, I would say so. It's Are they two different experiences? Totally different experiences. I mean, that, I know they're two different style of courses, but yeah, ex, as, ex, as experiences go, is it quite different? I th- experiences, it's it's way different. It it doesn't have that exclusivity. What it does have is that that ancient history about it, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's not like, there isn't a feeling that, oh my God, you know, this might be the only time I've, I'll ever get to play Augusta National. You can play St Andrews the next day if yeah. you're lucky enough. So, yeah. so it's got that about it. But it's just the amount of different shots you can play at St Andrews is so much so much more uh, than, than, than Augusta National. Augusta National asks a lot of questions about your game and you can certainly play any way you want off the tee except for the par threes. But, you know, from the fairway and from the greens, it really sort of directs you a certain way whereas St Andrews is just like come up with whatever solution you have to the shot at hand and you can do it. You can putt it, you can chip it, you can do whatever you want. And it's just, it's to me, it's the best golf course in the world. Um, it's kind of a toss between that and Royal Melbourne West. Oh, well, that's another place I've not been. But then again, I've never been to Australia. And you just told me before we came on air that I've got a terrible Australian accent. So now I don't feel like I even want to go to Australia. <laughs> I, th- so. I think my reference was you sounded like that episode of The Simpsons where Bart gets you know extradited to Australia. <laughs> yep. That's probably fair. Anyway, the weather, that's the that's the big sticking point for my round and indeed the, the rest of the tournament. It is, though, somewhat impressive that they managed to get in as much golf today as they did. There's mm. been a lot of talk for days and days and days about this Saturday being particularly biblical, which is ironic considering it's Easter weekend. <laughs> there was talk yesterday evening as I was leaving the golf course that they might not even be able to hit a ball today. Mm. But they came back 8 o'clock, they completed the second round, and we managed to get about three and a half hours, maybe four hours yeah. left to play in round yeah. three. That, to me, considering the fact the rain didn't stop today, and this isn't a Lynx course where it drains away easily. That just shows you how good, A, the facilities are at Augusta National. We all know they have sub-air and the greens, but also how good the greenkeeping team is. It's a oh. wonder how they got as much golf in today as they did. It's truly like Disneyland. Just, just the people behind the scenes that you don't even know exist who are there sweeping away the water and draining it. And, and fun You never fact, see them. That's absolutely right, isn't it? Yeah, and they're, they're just working behind the scenes. You know, a fun fact... The sub-air system, the obviously hot air from sort of underneath the green complex that number 12 was the first to get the sub-air technology. Jeez. Because it was sort of, I think it's the most, well, you know, number six, but it's the most lofted par three, you know, people are yeah. coming in there with nine irons and they probably did need to safeguard that against rain, but that was the first hole on the course to get the sub-air technology. There you go. Mm. You'd be good in a quiz. <laughs> Not many quizzes. <laughs> well, you know, golf quizzes, I suppose. We'll let you away with that. But yeah, truly incredible how they, they managed to play as much golf today as they did. I think that was crucial too. And, and you know, to reference your tea time again, I, I think that's what's probably saved you is that they, they actually played six hours of golf today when, like you heard, you know, urban legends, rumours, whatever you want to call them, that they weren't going to hit a shot today. That was probably a little bit dramatic. But, yeah. To uh, be fair, it was English football tabloid journalists that said <laughs> that. Guys that don't tend to cover an awful lot of golf. Well, there you go. So I should have really known to take it with a pinch of salt. As but much, but six hours of golf. No disrespect intended. 
Six yeah. hours of golf. Brooks Kepka and, and that final group there with with John Rahm and, and these this amateur sensation Sam Sam Bennett getting six holes in nearly seven holes. That that's crucial. So twenty nine holes is very doable uh, on tomorrow. It's going to be a marathon of golf. It kind of sucks for the the regions around the world where that middle part of the day is overnight. My, my native Australia included, but but for Scotland, I imagine might might be pretty decent. Oh, it's absolutely tremendous news for Scotland. No doubt about it. There'll be a lot of people listening to this and thinking, right, Subair, so if it's so good, why doesn't every golf course that could be affected by bad weather get it? But it's mega expensive, right? Yes. It is not a. <laughs> it's cost prohibitive for an awful lot of places. Oh yeah, and it's cash, and, and obviously it's you know for Augusta National, it's it's a business expense. They they need to run this tournament, this this part of the country in the United States. Uh, very typical for sort of wild weather this time of year. And that was a necessary overhead to make sure that the tournaments could run smoothly because the amount of masters that wouldn't have finished on time if they didn't have that technology, you wouldn't want to know. Ten years ago, when, when my countryman Adam Scott won, that was one of the really wet weather masters, 2007, when Zach Johnson won. God knows if they didn't have that technology, what would have happened in those masters. But th- this is this is an event. This is a World Cup final. This is something yeah. that everyone around the world, all sports fans and even non-sports fans are watching just for that social currency, and they can't afford to have it have a hiccup it's very true that's probably why they haven't had uh, a monday finish in the last 40 years not saying every year's had rain but those that have since sub come in it hasn't really been an issue the big issue is always around here electrical storms mm, you know because that's, right. that's the thing that will kill play stone dead and we haven't had anything of that since yesterday afternoon when there was just a little glimmer of it the forecast i should add for those of you listening bright and early in the uk the forecast tomorrow is a little bit more rain in the morning. If you're from Scotland, you'll understand what I mean by this. Smurry rain. You know, the kind of rain that gets you really, really wet, but it doesn't feel like it's enough to get you soaking wet. Mm. That kind of rain will be around tomorrow morning. Then it's going to clear up towards lunchtime. And in the afternoon, they're reckoning just, you know, cloudy skies and hopefully dry conditions from there on in. Maybe a few showers towards the end of play, but hopefully, hopefully... We have now seen the worst of the weather conditions as far as the tournament goes. Lots more to discuss on today's episode, including obviously the players who are right up there contending for the green jacket. So stay tuned. All golfers can agree, hitting it far feels great. But does it feel great? A first in forging has created irons that have never felt better. Paradigm was precisely constructed with the first ever AI-designed forged 455 face cup and an all-new speed frame to enhance speed and feel, earning 15 out of 15 stars from the Golf Digest hot list. This is the new Paradigm in performance from Callaway. Welcome back. Part two of today's Masters Commute in association with Callaway Golf. Michael McEwen coming to you here from Augusta National. My special guest, Evan Priest. Evan, we, we spoke a lot about the weather in part one, so let's talk a little bit about the actual golfers, shall we? Because right out there in front, he has been pretty much since the early part, or rather, uh, yeah, later part of day one, because he always had a, a later tea time, Brooks Kepka. So he is on 13 under par through six holes of his third round, so one under on the day. And he has a four-shot lead down to playing partner John Ram. Also has played six holes, but he's won over. He did get to within one of Kepka at one point late in the second round. They both birdied the second in round three. But yeah, John Ram's just stumbled a little bit. 
Then we've got a bit of a jump down three shots to minus six where Sam Bennett, the amateur, the other person of that final three ball, he is the, the next closest challenger to them. I am reluctant to say this, even though it's Saturday night, we have to accept that it's really kind of Saturday afternoon or lunchtime in real terms because that's right. there's, a, there's still two thirds of the second, uh, sorry, rather the third round to go for these guys. So it, this might be a little bit premature, but is it becoming a bit of a two-horse race? I, I think so, yeah. I, I just think those two players with the conditions, it's it's going to be hard for anyone to overtake them. If you look at the next best after those two, they're seven shots behind Kepka. So th- this really is a two. But, but if you were going to pick a two-horse race, this is maybe the best two in the field, barring some of the guys that missed the cut. And it's going to be it's going to be fantastic if they manage to hold on to the, you know, the the next um, twelve holes in the third round. It's going to be one of the one of the great Masters battles where two players isolate themselves. Sometimes that always it's it's not always exciting, but you think of other major championships like the um, Phil Mickelson and Henrik Stenson twenty sixteen yes, at the where Open. They separated themselves from the field completely. It can be cap- It can be it, it can become one of the best majors that you've seen mm. in recent times. So two heavyweights, two long hitters of the golf ball going at it. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable. You have got an American uh, who's you know now on live golf, and you've got a guy that stayed on the PGA tour but never really poo pooed live golf either. He didn't, very did much, he? yeah. Uh, and, and it's obviously John Rahm we're talking about. He's, he's very close friends with Sergio Garcia. Sergio's mm. obviously gone across to the Live Tour. They've remained quite close. So it's really going to be an epic storyline, isn't it? It certainly is. Just on Live quickly, I apologise because I didn't prep you for this, but he is your fellow countryman. Greg Norman, never mind all the other noise, I'm just curious how he is now considered back in Australia. Is there still the same? Is he still held in the, the same high regard as fondly as he used to be or has that changed a little bit? I think it's changed, you know, dramatically. I think those who loved him before Live Golf probably only love him more, and, and the evidence that they would put forward for that is that he's brought a tournament to Australia. It's a, it's mm, a country that's typically yeah. starved of high-quality golf. You know, the Australian summer just sits in a really awkward part of the schedule, but more on top of that, the, the economy in Australia in terms of corporate sponsorship of sport, it just isn't there. So, you know, for a long time, we, we've 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 cheered when when we get uh, a Rory McIlroy or a Jordan Spieth, you know, mm-hmm. basically alone playing the Australian Open, and all of a sudden you're going to have Brooks Koepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Cameron Smith coming down to Australia, and, and you know, loads of other quality players, and playing a tournament that's already sold out, and and sold out, I should say, about six weeks ago, two mm-hmm. months before that that event. Uh, to that to reference that, that's actually in two weeks' time. So yeah, and Adelaide. Yeah, these live golfers are basically going to have four or five days off after this Masters and head down to Australia, you know, given the time difference. So so if I'm understanding, Greg Norman's reputation in Australia has changed for the better. Is that what you're saying? I, I think it's I think it's diversified. It, to, to sit on the fence a little bit, I apologise for that, but I think some people would argue that his reputation might have gotten worse, you know, based on the way he's carried himself, the faux pas he's made in the media, and, and those who love him would, would would celebrate the fact that he's, you know, bringing some of the world's best golfers down to Australia, giving them something they haven't had in years, and that's a top-quality golf tournament. So so trying to, as a journalist, trying to separate yourself and be objective, you, you have to acknowledge the mistakes he's made, which is making some pretty horrible comments in, in, in the media about conditions in Saudi Arabia and whatnot, but at the same time, He's got a leg off the ground, not not single-handedly, obviously, but he's had a lot of help. But he's managed to get some seriously big big stars across mm-hmm. to a rival tour in a, in a very difficult climate, and then bring a massive tournament. You know, not only to Australia, but a few locations around the world. So it's a mixed bag for me, and I just I, I just think Australians who who love loved him before this will only love him more, and and those people who never liked him will su- sort of suggest that 
you know, he's he's been single-handedly responsible for disrupting pro- the professional golf ecosystem. So mm. it just depends. Which isn't a crime. You know, no, that, it's not. It's there to be disrupted. You know, it's yeah. no one owns professional golf. The PGA Tour might believe that it does, but nobody actually owns it. And I think, to your point, you know, if, if you can be objective about it and if, you know, people are able to shut off the noise and shut off, you know, the, the human rights atrocities that the, the bank rollers of Lib Golf have have committed. And I'm not saying you should shut that off, by mm. the way. Uh, that's that's entirely up to each individual to decide if they want to. But if you were to do that and to look at just the bare facts, what Greg Norman has achieved with support is nothing short of remarkable to create something from nothing that instantly has some of the best golfers in the world, including very soon after its launch, the Open Champion. That's remarkable. Oh, it, it's unbelievable. It, it, you know, and the way that you would answer that is, if it was anyone else, how big would it be celebrated? You mm-hmm. know, if it was Paul McGinley or if it was, was, was a former major champion like Darren Clark, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But someone someone held in high esteem in golf broke away and started this league because they, they rightfully pointed out flaws in the current ecosystem of professional golf they would probably be widely celebrated but because it's norman because he has a bit of a history of upstarting and he tried to get a world tour off the ground in the 1990s it's not held in the same regard what he's actually achieved in the past two years Mm. which is quite remarkable he's had help but he's been smart enough to put really heavy hitters in the world of golf sport and entertainment behind him and get this league off the ground and it's you know, they, they've accelerated their own timeline and they keep doing it. Sometimes it's to their own detriment. I think the players were caught off guard a little bit in terms of the franchise concept yeah, getting off the yeah, ground absolutely. a year ahead of schedule uh, and they're playing more tournaments. You know, from, from all reports, that the, these top players really only anticipated playing 10 tournaments in the second season mm-hmm. and now they're playing 14. Obviously, they're flexible and they're going to go with it because they're being paid quite handsomely, but... You know, it, it's 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 far along in its timeline and further than it, than they thought it would be. Norman, of course, not here this week. Fred Ridley covered that in his press conference earlier in the week. And I think that's, to be honest, broadly fair enough. I do understand that yeah. he's a sideshow, he's a distraction. It is worth noting that every other major chief executive or commissioner of every other major tour is here or has been here at some point this week. So, yeah, it's a difficult one, but... There we go. I'm, I wonder if we'll see him next year. Uh, it remains to be seen. Let's go back to the leaderboard if we can. So just to look at a few of those players who, I don't know if they're a little bit too far back, but I think the winner is going to come from one of the top seven as it stands just now. So basically anyone that's minus five, I think has a chance. I think minus four, so that's Justin Rose, Russell Henley, Phil Mickelson, Wacky Neiman, Cameron Young, even your, your buddy Jason Day, he's minus four. I want to come back to him, if I may. Sure. But you look at the guys who are minus five right now. So Victor Hovland, Colin Morikawa, Matt Fitzpatrick, Patrick Cantley. I feel like they're not too far away just yet. If you had to pick one of those guys, Evan, to really make a charge over the remaining round and a half, who do you reckon's the biggest threat to the leaders? Oh, it's there's no doubt. It's Patrick Cantley. He's the sort of guy that can just really get in the zone. He's He's got 62s in him. He's got 61s in him. The other guys, obviously incredible players. We've got a US Open champion there. We've got a two-time major winner, Morikawa. We've got Victor Hovland, to be fair, can, can obviously go incredibly low on his day. I, I do think that at the moment, and, and and I have to remind myself that in real time, like you said, it, it really is Saturday afternoon. It yeah. isn't Saturday night. But having said that, I just can't see Kepka stumbling at the moment. He's so in control, and, and barring some sort of disaster on 12 or 15 tomorrow morning, mm-hmm. I really think he's, he's got the tournament sort of half wrapped up. So those guys that are sitting at five under, 
I don't think there's any hope for them, but it, w- it could be one of those miracle occurrences at Augusta where they, yeah, they do come from behind. And who knows, this time tomorrow morning, we could be sitting here and Brooks yeah. Koepka's, Brooks Koepka's 10 under and, and, and those guys are only five back or four back and obviously very much in play. I think the largest come from behind is Nick Fowler. Mm-hmm. Six shots start in the final round. I don't know if that's been beaten. So six, and that, and that obviously took a disaster in itself with, with Greg Norman, who we just mentioned. So Perfect storm. Perfect storm. Yeah. Yeah, it has to be a perfect storm. Well, we've hopefully had the last of storms this week. Brooks Koepka, one bogey, I think I'm right in saying, in 42 holes so far. So I think you're quite right. He's not going to stumble that much. The question is, can he keep the foot to the accelerator the way he has had it over the past couple of days? And can somebody like Patrick Cantley, Matt Fitzpatrick, accelerate hard enough to, to put him under pressure? Look, Jason Day, minus four through seven holes of his third round. I want to ask you about him because he was, for many people, a bit of a, a dark horse coming mm. into this week. Yeah. And that feels both... It's surprising in two ways, I guess, Evan. One, he's a former world number one and a major champion. How can anybody like that really be a dark horse? Recent as well, in, mm. in, in sort of recent history terms. But by the same token, he hasn't had his troubles to seek over the last couple of years. His form is turning around again, and personally, I think it's great to see. I know that you know Jason really well. You yeah. had lots of dealings with him. What's changed? What What's prompted this turnaround? First of all, it's a swing rebuild under Chris Comer, who, of course, worked with, with Tiger Woods uh, quite a few years ago. Very, very modern, very biomechanical type coach who gets the player. He, he educates the he, His mantra is to educate the player so the player can, can coach himself at the same time. That's had the... Uh, the, the blowback of, of maybe giving Jason Day a little bit of head noise in terms of technique. I wouldn't call it paralysis by analysis, but at the same time, I do think he might be thinking too much about the technique at the moment. So so to answer your question, first of all, technically, it's a swing rebuild. That swing rebuild has had a domino effect of giving his confidence back. And as soon as he started seeing those results in the course, a, a, you know, a couple of top tens last year, one at the beginning and one at the end of the year, really taught him that, okay, the, these changes are working well. But it's mainly the putting. He's got his confidence back with the putting. I, I, I'm of the belief that the swing he had two years ago was not, you know, wasn't the reason that he was plummeting down the world rankings. It was a severe loss of confidence on the greens. This was a guy who was, you would bet your life on him holding a six footer if you had to. <laughs> And he was, you know, in his prime, was draining forty footers and fifty footers for fun. He lost all that confidence. He really didn't know where the ball was going to start when he would strike the strike the putter. Whereas, you know, back in the day, it, it, it was like second nature to him. So he got that confidence back on the greens, and we've seen that five te- five top tens on the PGA Tour this year already. It's only April. Four of those were in a row at really big events: Phoenix, uh, Riviera, Bay Hill. Bay Hill is basically a U.S. Open, essentially. Yeah, and you know, it's no surprise to see him playing well this week. It's just mm-hmm. those mental errors. He hasn't been in the real thick of contention for quite a while, and he wouldn't have made these kind of mistakes that he, he has made this week maybe seven years ago, mm-hmm. like eight years ago. Uh, and one of those, you know, it was so deflating as, a, as an Aussie. You know, I was walking with him and his group on in, in the uh, second round, and, and to see him go from he was standing on the 15th tee in the second round. He was on the great side of the draw alongside Brooks Kepka. And he was nine under par on the 15th tee, pulled his tee shot, had to lay up, laid up too close to the water, got really finicky with his wedge, oh. flubbed it into the water, and he went, dropped four shots coming home, and he went from looking at 10 under par, which would still be fantastic oh, yeah, right, right now, you know, 24 hours later, to four under par and, and really out of the tournament. Mm-hmm. But if you could take any sort of 
comfort or silver lining away from this tournament, it would be bagging a top five, knowing that his game is good enough to contend in majors and then sort of heading to the US Open where he's had an amazing record or even the PGA Championship mm. where he's won before and just feeling, yeah, I could do this. Yeah, he's definitely on the way back, isn't he? And it's absolutely brilliant to see. As I say, I really like the guy. I've he's, always liked the way he plays. And, and, and yeah. he's such a lovely guy. Like, he, he's so nice. People that come up to him in practice rounds on the driving range, he's never rude to any of them. Mm. He's just a, a lovely, kind-hearted fellow that's had, had some, you know, history with injuries and has been made fun of in the media a little bit, sometimes deservingly so when he was maybe maybe too honest about some illnesses and injuries that he's had. But at the same time, uh, he's, he's he's never changed. He's, he's stayed true to himself and it's it's really good to see him back. I think I tweeted something this at the beginning of, beginning of the week. He missed the Masters last year. He was outside the top 150 in the world. That ended up plummeting to 175. This is a former world number one we're talking about. And within the space of six months, he's got five top tens on the PGA Tour. He's back to, I think it's 35th or 38th in the world. And he's back in the Masters and he's in contention. So it's it's really cool to see someone like that who you thought, oh, wow, I think he might have lost mm. his career to come back and fight his way back into the Masters contingents. Unbelievable. Absolutely agree. And here's wishing him all the very best for the remaining round and a half. Evan, that is all we have time for, I'm afraid. Thank you very much indeed. It's always a pleasure to have you on. I'll see you round three at the PGA US Open, Open, something like that. You are now the round three correspondent. <laughs> round for, three correspondent. For the commute. You realise that. So thank you very much indeed for your time. Much appreciated. And thank you to you for listening to Callaway for their continued support. And let's hope we get finished on time. Keep across the Bunker social media channels over the next 24 hours or so. And check out bunker.co.uk for all of the updates from the tournament. I'll be back again this time tomorrow. We're Hopefully we have a new green jacket wearer to talk about. Until then, thanks for listening. Bye-bye for now.